Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. Genesis chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. You guys know that story that people got together and their goal was to build a tower uh, so that they could climb up into heaven. Um, That seems ridiculous, doesn't, doesn't it? That anybody could build a building tall enough especially with kind of Stone Age technology, could build something tall enough to climb into the sky. Now, some people have said that their goal was just to make the biggest building that everybody around could see them and look at the people that were building it and say they are like the gods. I don't know. It's a very bizarre little passage between the flood and Abraham, the account of Abraham, which is when things really kick off. So it's this bizarre little passage that tells us where the different languages come from. Uh, It seems foolish to think that building a tower would make us important or bring us closer to God. But, you know, some people might mistakenly think that coming to church in this building somehow makes you closer to God because you're here. Uh, Even uh, uh, that, that Sunday is somehow a holier day than the rest of the week. Sunday doesn't make you holy. Coming to church on Sunday, just being physically present in a building, doesn't make you holy. Pretending to be Christ-like around the preacher or at church doesn't make you holy. God sees who the real you is. I can be fooled, but God cannot be fooled. This building doesn't bring you closer to God. You Having a relationship with God is what brings you closer to God. And we're going to look at that today as we start. The last five weeks we spent in the book of Ezra. Now we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah. To the Hebrew people, this was one book that they called Ezra Nehemiah. Um, We've we've split it in English because there are kind of two subjects to it. Uh, Ezra was about rebuilding the temple. The Israelites had been carted off into captivity by the Babylonians. Then those guys got conquered by the Persians, and the Persians said, you guys can go back home. The book of Ezra is about this priest, Ezra, coming back with the remnant and helping the people rebuild the temple. But as we saw, part of that rebuilding, it wasn't the building alone that needed rebuilding. It was the families. That the families had fallen apart, and God's plan for the families of Israel uh, fell apart. So there was rebuilding of the, f- of the temple, but also the family. Now what we're going to see in Nehemiah, Nehemiah is about rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, but with that comes the community, rebuilding the community of Israel. Um, temples and walls aren't the point of Ezra and Nehemiah. What I want to get to the heart of today is what they were really rebuilding So we're in Nehemiah, and we're going to skip, we're going to kind of fly through chapters one through three, 
as I said before, part of the, part of the struggle. You can read this at home, and I think you should read this at home. But as a community, we're not going to read through the genealogies and the lists that just kind of bogs us down on time and takes away from discussion. So bits of chapters one and two, and we'll talk about what's in chapter three. Nehemiah chapter one. The word of Nehemiah son of Heliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile are back at the province, and they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, skip with me ahead. We'll we'll skip his prayer. Skip with me to chapter chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. And so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad? When you were not ill, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad? When the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, Let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, and so I set a time. So he he goes to, to Judah. Skip with me to verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well, the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. And then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. And so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall, Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials didn't know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace." I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. What follows then in chapter 3 is a list of which families and which groups built which portions of the wall. I want to look today at what they were really in the process of rebuilding and what our job is as well. We have a goal. And our goal is is to live under the rule of God. Is it possible to do the will of God 
and fail? Can we follow God and follow the rules but miss the point behind them? Many of you maybe have had the joy of living in one place for a long amount of time. Um, Putting down roots, knowing the community. Um, By my count, I could be wrong on this, but by my count, the first time I ever lived in a house for a third year was my sophomore year of high school. My father, moved, we, we moved a lot. Now, Dad was a preacher. Um, and not all of those moves were church to church. We didn't bounce every two years from church to church. We bounced about every four years from church to church. But usually about two years in, we moved to a different house. And if my memory serves me, my sophomore year was the, was the first time I'd lived in a house for three, for, for three years. Um, preached at Pleasant Hill Christian Church in Murfreesboro, Illinois for 10 years. That is my record in one house, absolutely 10 years. Eight years here, hoping, hoping to top that, if you guys are willing to, to keep me around and if God lets me stay. Um, ha- having said that, for those that have seen the inside of the garage, I keep, I, I keep my boxes. That's, that's, I'll probably never get rid of the boxes. They're, fold, they're, they're, they're broken down and folded up, but the life of a preacher, it's not, up, it's not just up to me, it's not just up to you, is it? It's up to God. And, and having moved so much, I just have this kind of paranoia of not having boxes if it's, if it's time to move. When, when I first got on my own, um, when I was living in an apartment in Urbana, Illinois, uh, Pam, Pam will tell you, that although I lived in that apartment for four or five years, which is how long I lived in that house in Salem, Illinois, when I was in high school, uh, when I lived in that apartment for four or five years, I rearranged everything every six months. I think, I think that that was just that part of me that I, I had become accustomed to everything changes so much. It just felt like, oh, thing, things are static too long. Time to just, the bed goes over here, the bookshelves go here, and, and, and TV, just move everything. I probably did that every six months for the four or five years that I lived in Urbana. That, that just seemed normal. I don't know that that changed until we got to southern Illinois. Um, I, uh, li- likewise, with that moving around, I don't have a lot of childhood friends. I've got a, f- a handful, two or three friends from before eight, eighth grade, maybe two or three, maybe one. I can think of one, um, uh, and and and, it's, and I find it very difficult to answer where I'm from. You know, I was born in Scotland, but I don't remember it. it. I mostly lived in Illinois, but also New York and also Minnesota, and and that's and that's okay. That different people, different lives. I kind of get Israel. Here's the thing: the the people of God had been moved out of Israel. But it was their home. God had given it to them. So after, when the cap, time of captivity is over, when Cyrus lets the people go back, they go back. But kind of like me not throwing away the boxes and, and all, they're not quite fully settled in. They're kind of living out of the boxes. They're, they're kind of not fully moved in yet. Nehemiah sees that they haven't rebuilt the wall. They haven't, they haven't made Jerusalem their permanent city again. So you're going to say, so why is this a big deal? Isn't that normal, Jason? Well, here's the problem. It's easy, it's easy in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah 
to let the scale of years fly by because they're kind of short books. They were in captivity for 70 years. When we get to the book of Nehemiah, it's over 70 years since the exiles had returned. They've been living out of boxes. They haven't rebuilt their wall. It's not like, well, you know, you got to kind of got to get settled in. It's been over 70 years since they made it home. And Nehemiah is distressed that after that much time, they should have resettled into the city. They shouldn't be living out of boxes anymore. This was their God-given home. They, should have, they shouldn't be living in a ruined city 70 years later. They should have rebuilt everything. There should have been a permanence. Um, Nehemiah had a very impressive job. He was cupbearer to the king of Persia. Let me be clear. Persia, having conquered Babylon, was the mightiest empire on earth. It had conquered most known nations. It is not an exaggeration to call Artaxerxes king of the world. Yeah, he had no idea the Americas were here, and I'm not talking about the Incas and the Mayans and the Aztecs and the Olmecs and all those other people. But as far as the known world goes, Artaxerxes ruled most of, most of the world that he knew of. And Nehemiah, every day, brought him, as cupbearer, he would make sure it's not poisoned, give it to the king, um, and, and that's an impressive job. He had a very cushy, impressive job, and he left it to do something that he felt was more important, which was build some walls around a, around a ruined city. He was as high up as you could get in the king's court, friends with the king, king is upset that he's upset but nehemiah recognized that the people of god in not rebuilding the wall there was a greater thing going on there was a symptom of a greater problem they were not living up to their potential of who they were meant to be under god they were acting like um, outcasts scavengers squatters when they were in god's holy city And so Nehemiah left the palace to rebuild a ruined wall, which maybe doesn't sound like a big deal, but it is a big deal. Is it possible? Nehemiah saw the spiritual implications um, of 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 the tearing down of the walls. The people lacked identity. So we asked, you know that old joke, when is it when is a door not a door? When it's a jar. Um, When are the people of God? not the people of God? And the answer is when they're adrift, when they're not following God. When, when God is going somewhere and they're calling themselves the people of God, but they're not walking with him. They're not following his plan. The wall was just a symptom, a symbol of the bigger problem. The people were floundering in their identity. Is it possible to rebuild God's community but fail utterly? The answer is, yeah, you could rebuild a community, but if God isn't the center, you've missed the point. The goal wasn't the wall. The goal was a community, and not just a community, but a community with God at the center, or it's just a social club. Last week we said building stuff was easy. Walls, houses, roads, that's just stuff. That stuff is easy. Building projects. You know, this, we, we read later on, this wall was a mile and a half the part they were rebuilding was a mile and a half long. Is it long or not? I don't know. 
I don't know if a mile, to me that's long, but not maybe if you have hundreds and hundreds of people building it. Once Nehemiah, here's the thing that amazes me. Once Nehemiah puts lights of fire under them, they build a mile and a half wall in less than two months. 70 years of not building it, two months to build it. So you can really tell there was no excuse. It's not like it was this massive project that was going to take them 50, 60 years, and that's why they put it off. Two months of hard work. Something they'd been, I mean, I procrastinate. I'm bad about procrastinating, but nothing like that. They finally committed themselves to the task because one person, one person who had the vision of God motivated them to do so. So then we ask for ourselves, how many of us can see building projects but not see the bigger picture? Um, How many can see problems in structures but not problems in our, our spirit, our spiritual community. See, for, we know that for Israel, the reason the wall had to be rebuilt to begin with was that they had not been following God. And God kept saying, if you keep this up, if you don't follow me, if you don't commit to me, my hands of protection are removed. And, and, and what happens, happens. And what happens was the Babylonians. Their sin caused the downfall of Jerusalem. They could rebuild the city, but if they didn't fix the sin problem, then they then no lessons were learned. The core issue was still there. So is it possible for us to go to church and miss the point of what we are building? We are building, and I love this just fits, we are building the kingdom of God. And God is our king. If we are Christians, then he rules over. And that's where the, we don't get the medieval mindset. I... You know, if you're an employee, you work 40 hours a week, give or take. You go home, your boss calls you up. If you work Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, the boss calls you up on Saturday. And I choose not to answer. Caller ID, for most jobs, not this one. Caller ID, it's the boss, it's Saturday. I'm not on the clock, I'm not answering. Um, Some people can do that. Certainly when I was was a locksmith, I I was on call. I, I had my 9 to 5, 30, Monday through Friday. I worked every other Friday night on call, and that was it. And I didn't have to pick up on off nights. If I went off to play board games with friends and the boss called me, I wouldn't have to answer this. It's not, if, it's not, if it's not a Friday night, not my night on call, I'm out doing stuff with the friends, I don't, I don't owe Rick and Mary an answer if I don't want to. They couldn't fire me over it. That, I knew why I worked and when I worked, and, and the medieval mindset was not like that. If you were a peasant on the king's land, he was lord. And if he said, harvest my crops at 3 a.m., you harvest the crops at 3 a.m. We don't get the concept of a Lord. We treat God like a boss. But if he is Lord, he is in charge all of the time. This is not a hobby. This is not something you do in your off hours. It's not a part-time job. It's not a full-time job. It's not a social club. Being a Christian is overall. Or he is not Lord and we are not saved. And that's not up to me. That's, That's... what he says in this book, and if this book is true, and I believe this book is true, then that is a true statement, and it's not up to me. Our goal is to surrender to the rule of God. And because of that, our resources are a gift to God. So, talking about waiting, t- waiting tables, working at Steak and Shake, um, I, I was a decent server, waiter. 
um, and kept getting scheduled for a lot of hours, which is good because more hours is more money when you're waiting tables. They don't pay back then. I think I probably got paid two fifty an hour, and then everything else on top of that was was tips. Um, I they worked me a lot, a lot more than I wanted, but the money kept me afloat. Uh, my, my average work week at the Steak and Shake in Lincoln, Illinois was 66 hours a week. That was my average work week. It was a lot of hours. Worked, worked myself sick. Worked myself into, I got thrush. My immune system kind of started to collapse under that. First time I got thrush, I've struggled with it ever since. Uh, Christmas time, I had a friend coming in from out of town. Asked the boss, I'd like some time off for Christmas. I've got a friend coming in from town. He said, well, I don't know, Jason. I, you know, we're, we're kind of short-staffed. We were always short-staffed. Um, other people didn't work 66 hours a week. They weren't as good. I'll... But he said, well, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll do what I can. I said, now, I'd like to remind you, I've, I've worked all these hours you've wanted me to. I think I've earned this. So one day he called me in, big production about how much time he was giving me off. That week, eight hours a day, five days a week. Big production of the fact that he cut me down to a 40-hour work week. It was insulting. <laughs> it, it was insulting to cut me down to what the others were working and act like that was some kind of favor he was doing. For me. I didn't work for him much longer. I was so insulted. Shortly thereafter, I, I, I quit. Um, uh, he would have insulted me less if he just, instead of making a big production out of it, had done something like, well, you're indispensable and I can't do without you, but that's not... The way to, and frankly, and if I was indispensable, he should have paid me more, right? No time off would have been less insulting than the meager amount that he offered. We didn't read chapter 3. Chapter 3 is this list of these people built this portion of the wall. On the surface, it's a boring chapter. It's a list of names. It's a list of sections of the wall for a whole chapter. But, but wait, these people matter. These were the people that were faithful to the call that Nehemiah gave them. They got the job done. So, as I've said, I enjoy watch. I'm that weird one that enjoys watching the credits of movies. At least the actors. I, li- I don't go to the movies often, but I like watching. Sometimes you catch somebody. and You go, oh, I didn't see them in the movie. Where were they? Um, I, I will say Marvel, Marvel Comics... You know, Spider-Man, Captain America, has tuned into my mindset because now if you go to see one of those Marvel Comics movies, they put a scene after the credits that previews the next movie. If you want to catch that scene, you've got to sit through the whole credits. One of the things that amazes me, you know, people asked me oh, at church camp this last week, what's your favorite kind of movies? I like pirate movies. Well, what's your favorite pirate movie? Pirates of the Caribbean? No, no, no. I like those old Errol Flynn black and white movies. I love those old... Captain Peter Blood, black and white Errol Flynn movies. But I'll tell you a big difference between those movies and let's take Pirates of the Caribbean with Johnny Depp. Watch the credits. They could make movies back then in those days with 20 people. These days you watch the credits, I don't even know why they show them. The font is so small, I can't see the names that are scrolling by. And there's tens of thousands of names in these movies. Now, I'm glad they put them in the credits because if you helped, you deserve the credit for it, and all of those people matter. I get that these movies that come out now, it was a team effort. and Everybody mattered. And I love that they're there. But man, I can't read the, all those names. I don't know why 20 people used to make movies, and now it's 10,000 to, to, to make a movie. I, different production techniques, and we've got computers, and, and I get that. 
I'm glad when people get their names in the credits, though, because they deserve credit for the work that they did. They were a part of the team. The people in chapter 3, we read these genealogies and lists in the, throughout the Bible, so-and-so is the son of so-and-so, and our, and our eyes glaze over and we think, why do I care about... These were people that mattered. They mattered enough to the people back then that they got their names in the credits. This is in Genesis when we read genealogies. These are in, in Paul's letters when we read his long list of tell, tell all my friends hi and here they are. All these lists of names, they do matter. These are the people that contributed. They are remembered for what they did for the kingdom of God. What will you be remembered for? What have you done for the kingdom of God? Attendance is not, a, is not bragging rights. It's not a big deal. You're not gracing us with your presence. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy to see you. Attendance is not you know, sitting still in a pew and being able to not entirely fall asleep and snore out loud for a half hour is not the best of bragging rights. Um, if, I'll quote one of the guys from my previous church. He was talking about other people, so I can, I can quote Joe. Joe pointed out that going to church and throwing in a $10 bill and patting yourself on the back, he said, is probably insulting to God. And I think that he's probably right. Um, I am. Um, one, one, of, one of those memories that you learn from, there was a Mother's Day, I think I was in seventh grade. I, I kind of, it's kind of seared into my mind. I forgot about upcoming Mother's Day, and suddenly it was Mother's Day. And my sisters and my brother had got mom presents. I think dad took them. I think dad probably offered to take me to get a present, and I said, I'll take care of it, and then forgot about it. So it's Mother's Day, and, I'm scram- and, and the other three have given their presents to mom, and I'm scrambling. I grabbed, a ye- I grabbed a cassette tape that was a copy that I'd never listened to from some group I'd never heard of. It was Christian, but that's about all I remember, and wrapped it and gave it to mom. And I appreciate that Dad pulled me aside and said, that's not a gift. It didn't cost you anything. There was no time spent into it. You never listened to it. It was just a copy. It was, it, that's not a gift. That's just leftovers. It doesn't say anything. It's almost more insulting than to have given her nothing. I do think I went out and got her something later and gave it. To, I think I gave her two presents at her birthday to try to make up for the fact that I did feel guilty. And I should have felt guilty. And it was one of those lessons that has seared into my head. God doesn't deserve our leftovers. And I don't want my gift to God to be given out of the crumbs and the meager leftovers of life. Well, I've paid for all the important things. I've still got $5 at the end of the week. I'll throw that in the offering plate because the important stuff is done and now I can pay for the non-important stuff. Some people insult God, I think, by the meagerness of their gift. And I almost think that no gift would be better. The people of Nehemiah's day united together as the people of God, and for only a two-month period, they threw themselves into it. They, they did the work of rebuilding the wall. They gave God not the leftovers, but everything. Each took their turn to do the part, get the job done, be a part of the team. You know, they say, you, I'm sure you've heard the statistic, ten, I know 87% of statistics are made up on the spot. I get that. But, but, last week I said it was 78. But, Again and again, I hear that in, in the average church, 10%, there are a few people that, well, David's not with us right now, and we feel his absence. David does a lot around here, and, and I don't like, and, I, and, I, and we're praying for his recovery, and, 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 and I love that the church can go on. Nobody, nobody should be indispensable. 
But David does a lot, and we miss him right now. There are some people that could take a year off, and and their presence would not be as felt. And I don't want that to be you. Um, they, they say that football, you've heard me say this, football is 22 people desperately in need of, of a break, being watched by t- 22,000 people desperately in need of exercise. Um, I don't want the church to feel like that. We all have our part to play. VBS right now. Talk with Beth after church. If you're not plugged into something, we'll plug you in. There's still time to get involved. There are some things at the church, yeah, that you're not going to be busy at the church every single day of the week. But we want you to be an active part of the church because the community of God actively serves God's will. What are we building? So the people of Israel, what did they build? Well, they built a wall. Yeah, okay. A community? Yeah, but, but there was more to it than that. Christmas time. My, I, I, my favorite Christmas. I got my first Lego set. Space Station Beta or something like that. But what I remember is that... now, And I, say, I said, I think, a week or two ago, my father was a bit of a workaholic. He worked a lot. Um, Christmas, he didn't work. Christmas, we opened presents. Christmas, he helped me build that Lego set. And man, that's my favorite memory of my time with my dad. And for four or five years, I got Lego every Christmas, and I had my dad's undivided attention. And we built Lego. And those are my favorite memories of, my fa- of time with my father. Were we, what were we building? Were we building Space Station Beta? No, we were building a relationship. And I love those memories. What are we building right now? Air conditioning for the church? Yeah, I, I look forward to that for, for the hot days. Praise God it's not that hot today. Yeah, at the moment we're working on sidewalks. We b- built those recently. I love our new, our new sidewalks. They matter. But you know what? They're not the point, are they? You say, Jason, we're building a, a, a community. Y- yeah, it's nice to have a community, but the goal of the church is not to be your social circle. You can join the Elks or the Masons or, or whatever for that. Our job is not to be, we're not, the goal is not to be cheers, where everyone knows your name. That's not, that's not the goal of the church. Uh, it nice if we can have that community, I'd love to have it. Uh, I'd love it if you like me, but I wasn't hired to be liked, to be your friend. Great if it, if it works out that way. My number one goal is to preach the gospel of, of Christ. If I can be your friend and do that at the same time, great. Hope, hope we can do that. If I have to choose between the two, preaching the gospel is more important. Um, in fact, if I'm doing my job right, the gospel should step on your toes as much as it does on mine. There may be some days you don't like what I say. There are some days I don't like what I say. <laughs> Sometimes the gospel stings. You know, I, I, it's, 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 it's ironic that we're talking this year a little bit about unity, well, all, quite a bit about unity and community, and yet these aren't the goals. They're tools, But the goal is something bigger, isn't it? Our goal is to build a relationship with God through his son Jesus. This is the memorial that these people left in chapter 3. And it has been said that every one of us is a writer, and every one of us is writing our own epitaph. We are writing what they will say at our funeral. When we've passed and, and someone does the funeral, 
We're deciding what they will say. You get to pick it. What have you left for the Lord? Are we too busy to give our time? Are we too untrusting to give of our finances in such a way that he gets first and not leftovers? Now, let me be clear. I don't touch that offering plate. I've never touched it in eight years here. That was one thing I said the very first meeting. Uh, I don't I don't want to touch the offering plate. I, I don't want to know what people give ever. I don't know what any of you give. Don't change that. Don't come and tell me. I don't look at checks. I don't want to hear what you give. That's between you and God if you write a check and the treasure. But I don't want it. it that's not that's not my business. If if Pam comes to me and says we don't have any food in the house, and I say okay, well I, I'll, I'll go buy groceries, I would never come back and say, and that was your Mother's Day present or your birthday present. That's ridiculous, right? Necessities are not a gift. Okay? The Bible talks about tithes and offerings. Tithes is 10%. And it's just, that's the definition of a tithe. You can't say, well, my tithe is 5%. That's just not what the word means. Tithe is 10%. Tithes is what the Old Testament were required to do. And in the Old Testament, if you wanted to give an offering to the Lord, that was after the tithe. Now, if you wanted to give an offering, you gave your tithe, because that was required. You didn't, get a, you didn't get a pat on the back on good job for doing what was required. An offering was when you gave above and beyond what was required. Now, New Testament, tithes aren't required. My own opinion, it's a great bouncing off point. I think it's a good lesson from the Old Testament. I like the idea of trying to tithe. It's not a command, so if it doesn't work out, you're not. But what I have discovered is that tithing is an amazing bouncing off point. And then after that comes my offerings. Um, I don't give God money because I think he needs it. Like I don't give Pam groceries and call it a gift. My gift to God isn't what he needs. I give because it's a gift. Because I love him. Because I want to show him my priorities. But I want to show me my priorities. I love him. I want a relationship with God. But relationships require some gi- and God has given us so much, right? Relationships require give and take. God gives and gives and gives to us. I want that relationship. I want to give back from my resources, from time, um, from money. Um, and, and in doing that, I am building my relationship with God. I have no idea what our hymn of invitation is, but uh, our, our question, same question we ask every week. I don't, I don't care if it gets old. It's important. Do you have that relationship with God through his son Jesus? Where are you at? If you have not given your life, all of it, not, not 40 hours a week, not hobby, all of it to God because he is Lord. I want to talk with you about what that looks like and, and what comes next and, and what you're getting into. We don't want, the reason, reason, we, we, reason I always ask, phrase it that way, this is not bait and switch. The goal isn't to get you into the baptistry as quick as we can before you wake up. It's just the opposite. A lifelong commitment to God is a big deal. I want to make sure that you know what you're getting into. I think it's essential. I think it's necessary. I, the Bible tells us there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Following Jesus is the most important thing in the world, and that's why I don't want to rush it. If you haven't given your entire life to Christ... Um, baptized into his name, committed to the church, the bride of Christ. I want to talk with you about what that looks like. If you have done that, it's hard, isn't it? 
some days, some weeks, it's hard to keep that momentum up. Spiritually, we kind of get exhausted. And if you want to talk about, Jason, I did this some time ago, but I've kind of fallen away. Happy to talk with you about what that would look like to re-energize that and how we can do that because... That's what we're here for is the church. The goal of the church is to build each other up, to be the people of God, the community of God, with Christ at the center, so that we may follow our Lord and Savior into eternity and share that message with others. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.